Grace, mercy, peace, and love to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our text for our sermon is Genesis chapter 45, verses 3 through 15. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? His brothers could not answer him because they were terrified by his presence. Joseph said to his brothers, come closer to me, please. They came closer. He said, I am Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now do not be upset or angry with yourselves for selling me to this place, since God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. For two years now the famine has been in the land, and, still, and there are still five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as survivors on the earth and to keep you alive by a great act of deliverance. So it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he has made me a father to Pharaoh, lord over his entire household and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord over all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, where you will be close to me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all you have. I will take care of you here, for there are still five years of famine. Otherwise, you will come to ruin, you and your household, and all that you have. Pay attention. Your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You shall tell my father all about my position of honor in Egypt and about everything that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. He threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept, and Benjamin wept on his shoulder. He kissed all of his brothers and wept over them. After that, his brothers talked with him. This is the word of our Lord. Our lessons all for this Sunday in the church here teach that we are to forgive. In fact, in our gospel lesson in Luke chapter 6, verse 27, Jesus says, But I say to you who are listening, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. You know, the problem with this, though, is our prisons are full of people who do truly awful, awful things to people. They murder. They rape. They rob. They beat people up and leave them with a hanging within an inch of their life. How can you forgive somebody like that when you're the victim? Even short of that, let's admit it. Many of us just struggle with the sin of bitterness. Many of us will give the silent treatment and people don't know what's wrong. And many of us, we say, oh, revenge is a dish best served cold. So that really does bring up the question, how can we be kind, merciful, loving, and forgiving? And to answer that question, we're going to take quite a bit of a delve into the life of Joseph. Recall that Jacob was the son, was one of two sons of Isaac, who was the only son of Abraham and Sarah. Now, Abraham had had Ishmael through uh, Sarah's slave, Hagar. But this is the one through whom the promised Savior is going to come. Jacob is, not Esau's brother. And he ends up fleeing from his brother when he tricks his dad into getting the inheritance that God had already said before they were born was his. Well, in the process of being tricked, he ends up working for a relative, Laban, and he works for him because he loves Rachel. He's supposed to work seven years to get Laban's daughter, Rachel, but Laban has an older daughter, Leah, and Laban recognizes everything Jacob does prospers, so he tricks him on his wedding night and trades the two daughters out. Now, Jacob has to work seven more years for Rachel. Now, the problem is, 
He loves Rachel. He doesn't love Leah, who shouldn't have gone along with this. But as it turns out, Rachel is barren. Leah has four boys before it finally occurs to Rachel, I, I'm barren. So she says, take my servant girl and, and have, she'll be my surrogate, have a child through her. And he does. And, he, and eventually he'll have two children through that girl. But Leah says, oh, ho, ho, in the baby wars, two can play at that game. She does the same thing. Then Leah turns around and has several more kids. So Leah ends up having six of the 12 sons. Now, Rachel finally uh, gets pregnant and has Joseph. And then uh, several years later, she'll get pregnant one more time and have the last son, Benjamin. She pretty much dies right after delivering Benjamin. So Joseph is, is Papa Jacob's favorite. You know, Benjamin, well, she died giving birth to him, but he loves him. But anyways, uh, and, and we hear the story, the coat of many colors. It, it's an ornate robe that really stood out. And Jacob really makes it clear, this is my favorite son, and even uses him to tattletale on the other boys. And so it is then that Joseph has a dream, and the gist of the dream becomes pretty apparent to everybody in the household. They're all going to bow down uh, to him. Well, brother, the boys, you know, you Okay, he's probably going to get all the inheritance, and that makes us mad. And, and the dreamer thinks he's going to turn around, we're all going to serve him, huh-uh. So one day, jo uh, Jacob sends Joseph off to go uh, find out what his brothers are doing, come back and tattletale on him. And probably because of that ornate robe that just screams out Papa's favorite, they say, here comes the dreamer, let's kill him. Now, Reuben, the oldest son, the firstborn, he has a plan to save his life. He says, now let's throw him in the cistern. And he takes off thinking he'll come back that night and save his life. But Judah, remember, the Savior's going to actually come through Judah. Judah says, uh, when a clan of Ishmaelites, that would be from their great uncle through Abraham, Abraham's first child, Ishmael, who was not a child of Sarah. Uh, Ishmaelites come along and they say, let's sell him into slavery. And they know they're heading down towards Egypt, but they'll never know again what happens to Joseph. Well, until our text. And so it is then that Reuben's upset. He doesn't save the life and everything. And they lie to their dad and say he's been devoured by a wild animal. So Jacob doesn't go looking for him. And things at first for Joseph, they stink. He's a slave. And he gets sold. But he ends up in Potiphar's house. And Potiphar recognizes, kind of like Jacob's dad, although Potiphar wouldn't know that, everything he touches, the Lord blesses. So he puts him in control of his whole household. Potiphar is uh, the, the head of the of Pharaoh's uh, guard. And then one day something bad happens. Potiphar's wife finds Joseph to be very handsome and attractive. And sexual sins are nothing new. We've struggled with them from the get-go. And uh, she tells him, come to bed with me. And, and he won't. And, and, and it's really neat, Joseph's response there. How can I do this sin against God and against uh, my master? He recognizes first and foremost that, that God blesses intercourse, but it's meant to be with somebody you're married with. And only then is it blessing, is a blessing. So uh, she finally tries to force him and, and, and grabs a hold of his cloak and, and he runs off. Uh, and she has a cloak and she, she's now angry and screams out to, to the other servants that this slave tried to rape her. Now, I've been told that at this time in Egyptian history, the, the penalty for that is murder. So it seems, although Potiphar gets angry, it seems maybe he doesn't quite believe his wife. Joseph ends up in a dungeon. Now, once again, everything Joseph does prospers. And the warden recognizes this kid ain't trying to escape or anything. And so he leaves Joseph in charge. He basically is the under warden and he runs the whole entire dungeon. Now, it's still a dungeon. Joseph was 17 years old when he was sold into slavery. 
And it happens to be that two of Pharaoh's official, his baker and his cupbearer, end up down in Pharaoh's dungeon. And they both have dreams and the Lord allows. It's all part of the Lord's plan. He interprets Joseph's dream. Uh, he, they both have dreams and Joseph interprets their dreams. And basically the interpretation for the baker is, yeah, Pharaoh's gonna, you're going to be put to death. But for the cupbearer, you're going to be restored when you are, remember me. And the cupbearer gets restored and he forgets Joseph. Then Pharaoh has a dream. He has it twice, and it's the same dream in two different versions. Uh, but the gist of it is, the first dream is that there are seven very prosperous cows. They are fat, but then seven really scrawny cows come, and they eat them. They eat the other cows, and they remain scrawny. And nobody can interpret the dream. And then the cupbearer remembers Joseph. So Joseph's called out of the dungeon, and Joseph comes and says, you know, you've had two dreams. They're, they're the same matter. You're going to have seven years of prosperity like Egypt has never seen, but then seven years of drought. So what you need to do is set aside in the, that prosperity, set aside all of the abundance so that though that abundance will get you through in the seven years of drought. And Pharaoh says, not only could this guy interpret the dream, he's no longer a kid, by the way, not only could he interpret my dream, but he, uh, he's already got a plan on what to do with it. So is there anybody else showing wisdom like this in my kingdom? Nope, he becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man. So you make that happen. And during those seven years of prosperity, Joseph saves up everything. Two years into the drought, Joseph is nearly 40 years old. The drought is all the way up in Canaan when Jacob says to his sons, we're starving to death. You know, we, there's prosperity in Egypt, so go. And at this time, people are selling themselves to Pharaoh in Egypt to have grain to feed their families. Joseph's plan is prospering Pharaoh. Well, Jacob says, you don't take my son Benjamin, but the rest go, they're able to haul things. And Joseph, when they come to buy grain, Joseph recognizes them. He has Simeon arrested. He tells you guys are spies. And uh, the only way you can prove you're not spies, because I admit there's one other brother. He says, so I know you're telling the truth. You bring your younger brother Benjamin here, and then uh, you, I'll give you back your brother. And then he has all their silver put back in their sacks. That's another story. They end up back up with, with Papa Jacob. And they say, we, uh, you know, this is all we got for grain. Um, but when it runs out, you know, we, we got to bring Benjamin back. He says, oh, no, you're not. I already lost Joseph. You're not taking Benjamin. Boy, the brothers recognize the toil they've had in all of this. And eventually the grain's running out, so they got to go. And, and even Jacob finally realizes Benjamin's now the favorite son. Uh, if you don't take him down then uh, with you, then we're all going to die anyway, so you might as well go. When they go, Joseph, uh, Simeon's let out of prison. They, they, they dine in front of Joseph, and finally uh, Joseph admits that it's him, and that's where our text begins. Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? Yet his brothers couldn't answer him because they'd been alarmed out of their senses from Joseph's presence, shocked out of their senses in terror. Joseph is, like I said, almost 40 years old. Last time they saw me, he's 17. He's dressed like an Egyptian with an Egyptian haircut and everything. Oh, boy. They can't even respond. And you know terror sinking in. He's in a position to really do us in. But Joseph doesn't use that. In fact, we're going to find out, and none of this was revenge. That's how we're able to answer the question, how can we be kind, merciful, loving, and forgiving? So hear what Joseph says. Starting at verse 4, Joseph said to his brothers, Come closer to me, please. They came closer. He said, I'm Joseph, your brother, whom you sold into Egypt. Now, I want to point out, he doesn't say whom you sold into Egypt as in, and now I'm going to make you suffer. You ever dealt with bitter people? Usually they don't even uh, properly quote you. There's always something to get wrong, but in that bitterness, they always have to add that bitterness. Even if you're doing them a favor, that's not what Joseph is doing. 
Joseph saying, if he were just Pharaoh's official, they wouldn't, he wouldn't probably know that, that he had been sold into, into slavery. He's making it very clear, I am the brother. And he continues, and here's the amazing words. Now do not be upset or angry with yourself for selling me to this place since God sent me ahead of you to preserve life. Now we're gonna get back to verse five, but he's already told them this was God's plan. Now listen to how he's able to spell that out. For two years now, the famine has been in the land and there are still five more years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. Verse seven is the key verse. God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as survivors on the earth and to keep you alive by a great act of deliverance. Verse seven in the Hebrew language is a tough slug to translate and figure out exactly what it's saying. And I've learned lots of times, Hebrew is a, is a narrative language. Uh, the Greek language tells you succinctly, here's what you need to know. Hebrew tells you the account and you get out of it. But when you have a difficulty with the Hebrew language, lots of times that's the Holy Spirit saying there's something more here. And this is really the key to unlocking everything. First of all, Joseph is a believer. Now, he's two, three hundred years before the Canaanite alphabet will be invented that you and I know as Hebrew. And so the, not, he doesn't have the word of God that he can unroll in a scroll yet. But he recognizes there's a big picture here. He has faith in God. He knows of the coming Savior and he recognizes in all this, God has always blessed me and kept me safe. And he, he's the one who gave the dreams and everything and put me in this position. So very clearly he sees God hand at work. That God sent me ahead of you to preserve you as survivors. And he's gonna spell it, you're gonna die if you don't do what I say. And it's not, you know, listen to me, it's because of the famine. And to keep you alive by a great act of deliverance. Now, that great act of deliverance truly is a miracle. The brothers meant to sell Joseph as a slave so they'd never have to deal with him again. God turned their sin. Doesn't mean that we sin to receive grace, but God is really good at taking our sin and giving us grace. Instead, God turned it into the plan in which he would preserve all 12 of them. This is going to be a great act of deliverance. And we got to recognize when you read the chapters in between, uh, most of these brothers have had a tremendous uh, negative influence placed upon them by the Canaanites. Take Judah, for example. His, sons, uh, Mary, his son, Mary, eldest son marries a Canaanite woman, Tamar, uh, which she doesn't seem to be a convert. And so that's already going to impact his religion. He dies, no child, so it goes to the next son, who's supposed to, uh, then the first child they have with Tamar is supposed to be an inheritance. Uh, but he does other things that disgust the Lord, and the Lord strikes him dead. Judah won't give her the next son because he doesn't want to continue losing sons to her. So she disguises herself as a temple prostitute. That would be a priestess to Baal. And when his wife has died, Judah has decided, I'll have intercourse with this prostitute. Finds out it's his, it's his own um, daughter-in-law. And it's through that, the, the child they have that the Savior will eventually be born. But the way he's going, he's going to end up succumbing to the Canaanite religion. Uh, one of the, Jacob's daughters gets raped and, and the brothers uh, end up killing the whole village. Not all the whole village is accountable to this. These men have the Canaanite religion and the Canaanite culture was awful. And it is destroying these men. Now, the ultimate thing is, if there's a famine and the, in the, in the line of Jacob dies, and especially the line of Judah, there's not going to be a savior. There's not just a greater deliverance of delivering the 12. Lots of times the point of the Old Testament, books like Ruth, is how God preserved the lineage of the savior when it was about to be snuffed out. And the greater deliverance, and truly the key to answer our question is, God's going to preserve that line of Jacob as a descendant of Abraham, and the Messiah will still be born. So with that Messiah, knowing he's coming, 
Joseph is empowered to forgive. By faith in the coming Messiah, he's able to see God's hand at work in his life to deliver his whole entire family. And that's the answer to our question. So verse 8 continues, So it was not you who sent me here, but God, and he's made me a father to Pharaoh, lord over his entire household, and ruler over the whole land of Egypt. Hurry, go up to my father and tell him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, do not delay. You shall live in the land of Goshen, where you will be close to me. Literally about 25 miles of where uh, Joseph has his headquarters. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. I will take care of you here. Now stop and think about this. Joseph is so prosperous in his position that he is able to, he'll be able to provide for not only his papa and his brothers, but his brother's sons and even their sons. They're quite a clan. How representative of the coming Savior. That Jesus is true God who comes and does all the work for us of doing all the work of saving us. Even he then sends the Holy Spirit after he's earned our forgiveness who enters our heart and gives us the ability to trust in him. And that Holy Spirit in our heart connecting us to Christ gives us the power to forgive. So he says, I will take care of you here for there are still five years of famine. Otherwise, you will come to ruin you and your household and all that you have. Ultimately, how does Joseph, who has been wronged in ways very few human beings have been wronged by his own brothers, he's able to forgive because he knows of the coming Savior. He might not have all the details you and I have. And he knows that God has been working so that, that, so that he can preserve them and that the Savior is going to come through them. Ultimately, it's by a supernatural power of the faith God has given him, a faith that God is his Savior, a faith that empowers him to forgive, especially when he sees God's hand working in his life so that the whole family is preserved because he knows this famine is going to go on for five more years thanks to God. Now stop and think about that. In all of this, there's been a lot of testing. First of all, his own brothers, he, wasn't, he didn't put them through this for revenge because they're now going to have to present the, 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 the now the favorite son. Will they be willing to treat him as a sacrifice? No, when they think they're going to lose Benjamin, they beg for mercy to preserve Benjamin's life. They've grown up. They've learned their lesson. They themselves, when the hardships first came on, they don't realize that Joseph, uh, Pharaoh's uh, right-hand man, is their, is their brother. They even recognize this is God disciplining us because of what we did to our brother. They were tested. In their case, their test was to reveal their sins so that they would repent. Joseph was tested. He would have to forgive his brothers and see God's hand. And even Jacob would be tested. Verse 12, pay attention. Your eyes and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see that it is my mouth that speaks to you. You shall tell my father all about my position of honor in Egypt and about everything that you have seen. Hurry and bring my father down here. Now see right there. Jacob's going to have to trust, oh, God had a plan in all this and not be bitter towards his sons who told him this lie. He, too, is going is to learn how to trust in forgiveness of God. And, and in this case, he does. But we really see Joseph even passing the test. In his case, God's testing him. God knows everything. It's showing him that he truly does have the forgiving heart God gave him. Because we're told in verse 14, he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin's neck and wept. And Benjamin wept on his shoulder. Then we're told in verse 15, he kissed all his brothers and wept over them. And then the brothers now passed the test. And after that, his brothers talked with him. Okay, we got to trust. Now, one time they're going to fail after Jacob dies. We got to trust that our brother truly does, is a believer, and he sees God's hand, and he sees God's hand blessing all this, and he truly does forgive us. So, ultimately, 
Though the neat thing is there in verse five, now do not be upset or angry with yourselves for selling me to this place. Because Benjamin could look at his brothers and say, you've got to be kidding me. We went through all this because you were lying to dad out of jealousy. And Reuben could say, you guys, I tried to save his life. And everybody could turn around and start playing the blame game and bitterness and everything else. No, forgive. Let's, let's move on. Since God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. Trusting in God, trusting in God as his savior, trusting, seeing God's plan unfolding in life. So how are you and I able to do this? When we have the word of God, that word of God that the Holy Spirit has used to bring us to faith that Jesus did all the work for our forgiveness. He then he then gives us that faith. And through that word, he strengthens us to repent of our sins, to know and trust they're forgiven. And also then to work through that word, we're able to see God's hand at work in our lives. Usually that happens when we're able to look back and say, oh, here's how God was closing these doors and putting me here so that I would later be able to do this. And, and we see the test and God does it for us to show us times. Here's where you're failing in your faith or here's where your faith is strong. And when you see that, I'm actually strengthening your faith. So how can you be kind, merciful, loving and forgiving as we've seen looking at Joseph through the life of what his brothers had handed him and how God was at work? It's a supernatural power from God. Only Christians can truly forgive at this level. I mean, some people just have thicker skin, but it's a supernatural power of Christ's forgiveness given to you, worked by the Holy Spirit so that you believe it. And then by being in that word, you're able to see God's hand at work in your life and trust it and apply it to your life. Ultimately, Sometimes when people are, are, have caused me to have hurt me and caused me plenty of reasons to want to seek revenge, I recognize if God gave the revenge that I should get for sinning against him literally by the day I burn in hell eternally. And I don't, I've been spared that, so by God's love, I'm empowered to forgive other people. And lots of times when we want revenge, we say, you know what? We'll let God take care of this. God has a way of ruling over their life like he did with Joseph's brothers where they were able to connect the dots when they didn't realize that was Joseph. This is God disciplining us because of what we did to our brother. But then we don't want God just to discipline them. We don't want them to end up in hell. We share the word of God and we forgive as God has forgiven us. Supernatural power only worked by Christ, especially as we hear in his word. Amen. Now may the God of hope fill you with complete joy and peace as you continue to believe so that you overflow with hope and love and power and mercy and forgiveness by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.